0: Hello and welcome to the Friday, February 25th, 2022, pre-Mardi Gras edition of On Iowa Politics. Support provided by New Pioneer Co-op, celebrating 50 years as Eastern Iowa source for locally and responsibly sourced groceries with stores in Iowa City, Coralville and Cedar Rapids and online through co-op cart at newpi.coop. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette And with me today are Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, James. Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. Doubling up there from the Quad Cities, Jared McNett (laughs) of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Jared. Good morning. Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Forest Courier. Good morning, Amy.
1: Good morning, James.
0: This week, Governor Kim Reynolds on the big stage and a Republican supermajority. First up, Governor Reynolds on the big stage. Following in the bread bags of Senator Joni Ernst, Governor Kim Reynolds will be delivering the Republican response after President Joe Biden's State of the Union next month. That's gotta be burning former Governor Terry Branstead's butt that he never got the opportunity during his more than two decades in the governor's office. Amy, why Reynolds? Is she the face of the Republican party? Female, mother, grandmother, tax cutter, Trump endorser? And hopefully a Trump endorsee, she says, and, <laughs> yeah. and, she, and she's right on the culture wars.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I mean, she's she's basically embodied um, sort of the Republican um, ideal. So so, yes, right away during COVID, you know, there was a lockdown in Iowa, but she was one of the first governors um, to quickly uh, release everyone. So so basically that's sort of the Republican line, like we need to be free of COVID uh, mandates. And Governor Reynolds has considerably um, or consistently rather done that. You know, I mean, I think House Minority Leader, Kevin McCarthy, said she handled COVID by choosing freedom over lockdowns and personal responsibility over mandates. That's a big issue for them. Um, The other thing is, you know, she's continuing that by banning mandates um, in schools. And I know that the legislature was even trying to do a ban in private businesses at one point. So I think just that sort of um, let COVID be. Is is very much a Republican line, um, so I think that's sort of a reward for 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 that sort of thing going forward. Um, the other thing, you know, she's a she's a female governor. Um, they like you know highlighting that within the party. Um, she's favored to win reelection, so she's a winner. Um, she's not out of favor with Trump, which is a big deal, um, and obviously hopes to get his endorsement. So so yeah, this is pretty much a solid pick for the Republicans.
0: It's interesting too that she feels um, vindicated in the way she has managed the state's response to COVID, and that, that this idea that we have to learn to live with it. Um, and point, now she's pointing to, you know, Democratic governors who basically are are following the same pattern that she did much earlier, uh, opening things up, uh, you know, lifting mask requirements, those sorts of things. And, and so she feels vindicated by that. And she just was, you know. She was a an early, um, you know, a pioneer in, uh, I guess, ignoring uh, COVID.
1: Uh, <laughs> right. She was. She She was among the the first Republican governors, yeah, to to lift those mandates. And when you look at statistics from states that did and states that didn't, um, it, you know, we're still getting those statistics out. But overall, Iowa didn't meaningfully suffer relative to other states that kept mandates. So that's what you can point to if, if you're a Reynolds supporter or if you're a Republican. Um, states without mandates didn't fare any worse generally than, than states with mandates. Um, now, whether overall you can make an argument um, that, that sickness was perhaps more rampant, um, hospitalizations could have been fewer, that sort of thing. But, but at this stage, um, it's still very much ideological.
0: Yeah. Definitely. So. So, Amy, is this uh, uh, response to the State of the Union address? Is this an audition on a national stage? Um, you know, there's been a lot of scuttlebutt about, uh, you know, Kim Reynolds being considered as a possible vice presidential candidate in 2024. So is, is this her chance to, uh, you know, jump into the big league?
1: It very well could be. And she's been lifting her profile, you know, she's with the Republican governors um, and and sort of, you know, putting herself out there on the different um, news shows as well. Sort of like an Ernst was when when Ernst gave the State of the Union and, and talked about, as he said, the bread bags. Um, so, sure, absolutely. If, if she nails this speech, she could be talked about as a possible contender.
0: And, I mean, that's what everybody aspires to, is to be vice president, right? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Ask Biden. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, At the same time, we're seeing Mike Pompeo is visiting Iowa. Marsha Blackburn is visiting Iowa. Um, You know, I don't know if these folks are thinking, you know, have bigger plans uh, for, you know, Pompeo certainly has been mentioned as a presidential candidate. Blackburn, I'm not sure if people look at her as a presidential candidate. But, you know, the the list of possible Republicans uh, who would run for president in 2024 is pretty long. And uh, anybody on that list could probably be put on the list of possible vice presidential candidates. And then that list gets even even longer when you add in people, you know, like governors and, and, um, you know, folks like Kim Reynolds. So she's got this opportunity. Tom, what should she say? If you're, if you're writing her speech, what are you going to highlight? Do you, do you attack Joe Biden uh, or do you talk about your record?
2: I think it's going to be um, a bit of both. Um, I think Reynolds is going to use her record to attack Biden. Um, And, um, you know, as Amy mentioned, focusing largely on what Republicans will argue have been a heavy-handed approach by the Biden administration to the way that it has handled the COVID-19 pandemic with masks and vaccine mandates um, that have been shunned and challenged by Republicans, including Reynolds. Um, so, so again, she'll use this primetime time address to talk about how permissive coronavirus policies in Iowa have helped Iowa families and businesses by keeping kids in schools and businesses open, um, and, and as Amy talked about, you know, choosing freedom over lockdowns and personal responsibility over mandates and how that has led to real economic recovery from the pandemic. Um, you know, as Amy, Amy mentioned, Iowa is one of few states that didn't issue a state at home order at the, the beginning of the pandemic and Reynolds didn't implement statewide mass mandates in Iowa until I think November of, of, of 2020. And then. Lifted them along with many other uh, restrictions last last February, and then um, earlier this month, you know, ended the state's coronavirus public health emergency, a move that uh, would limit the release of uh, of state public health data, um, and kind of again reflects her long held belief that, uh, as Amy mentioned, you know, it's time to move on from from pandemic restrictions. Um, And so, um, you know, we're also likely to see Reynolds make the case that um, Biden's policy initiatives and multi-trillion dollar legislative agenda is making inflation worse by flooding the economy with government spending and making it costly for Americans, while Republicans in Iowa passed a majority or excuse me, passed a major income tax cut. Um, you know, Reynolds uh, yesterday said that uh, Iowans will reinvest those dollars in our uh, economy, communities will prosper, and families will will rest a little easier. Um, and that, uh, once again, we're putting faith in Iowans and they won't let us down. Um, you know, she's probably likely to tout the state's fiscal management with a $1.2 billion or excuse me, uh, with a two billion surplus on top of full cash reserves and you know, contrast that to, to Biden's stalled, um, you know, $1.7 trillion climate and social spending bill. Um, again, noting Iowa was able to overcome the financial challenges caused by the global pandemic and, you know, still invest in education, workforce, healthcare, care, um, mm-hmm. while providing needed tax relief to, to Iowa families. Um and then um, Reynolds will also probably criticize Biden over border security, um, the joint statement that was put out by um, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and, and, um, and House Republican Leader McCarthy, excuse me, um, credited Reynolds for sending Iowa patrol officers to the U.S.-Mexico border to assist with immigration enforcement. Um, but again, you know, you kind of would expect the general theme for Reynolds to be that, um, Republican governors across America are, you know, leading the charge and defending liberty, securing, you know, economic prosperity and that the Biden administration administration is governing from the far left, ignoring problems of working class Americans while pushing an agenda that um, you know, she said in a statement, "stifles free speech, free thought, and economic freedom," and that the American people have had enough. But there is an alternative, and that's what she uh, she said she looks forward to sharing on Tuesday.
0: Foreign policy is foreign to governors for the most part. So, how does the the Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, affect or alter Reynolds' approach here? The U.S. isn't technically at war, but, you know, it's certainly on people's minds. Does that change her tone, less attack, more unity?
2: Um, I mean, just given what we've seen from Republicans up to this point in just kind of um, the general tone and tenor of, you know, our, our political discourse, um I, I don't expect uh, a unifying message from, from Reynolds and, 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 and Republicans. And I guess I don't know how much Reynolds is going to weigh into the foreign policy arena because, you know, as you mentioned, that's not necessarily the purview arena that, that governors are, are are familiar with. You know, I, I could potentially see, you know, Reynolds maybe making an argument that the, the Biden administration hasn't been forceful enough, you know, in trying to deter Russian aggression and protect NATO allies in that um you know more potentially could have could have been done by by the administration to you know try and halt that Russian a- aggression and in, in, in invasion in advance and, and that you know somehow the biden administration maybe should have been a little bit more forceful in the way that it responded but i don't I don't know how much that's going to really play into our message i I anticipate more that yeah it's going to be focused on domestic issues and
3: how you know Iowa is leading the way I have to wonder with all of that too, especially with the uh Russia stuff, how much that even gets brought up, because there doesn't seem to be a unified message from Republicans about what even they should be saying as it relates to this, to the point where, like, you know, even in the state legislature, you have somebody like, uh, you know, Jeff Shipley in Fairfield kind of saying that what Putin is doing is sensible, uh, at least as it relates to, to NATO. So there's not the most unified messaging from Republicans as it relates to this.
1: And Democrats, too, for that matter. I mean, if you look at what Franklin Franken has been saying on Twitter, um, he's very, you know, war hawkish and, and you'll find a lot of deviation right now. I think definitely the parties are trying to figure out what a good message is right now for that issue.
0: I, I would expect that the governor would talk about the Ukrainian people and, and support for them uh, without necessarily wading into foreign affairs and the policy. Um, so but I mean, everybody, uh, you know, wants to support the Ukrainian people. Uh, so and, and that's a, a very safe approach um, you know to, to express support for them um, you know with all this going on I, it, it makes me wonder if uh, you know doesn't this seem like a good time for China to reassert control over Taiwan you know while everybody's focused on Russia and, and Ukraine and it was like oh yeah and by the way uh, you know it's all it's all one big China now you <laughs> anyway so yeah Sarah uh <laughs> Does the governor make this speech about herself or, or is it more, I, I guess, in a way, as Tom was suggesting, that the Iowa way is a sort of a blueprint for the nation? Um, you know, the, the approach that she's you know, leading here in Iowa should be a, a blueprint for federal government.
4: Yeah. And I think like Amy and Tom said, I think that Governor Kim Reynolds really has an opportunity to introduce herself to the nation. So I remember when she gave her state of the union or state of the condition of the state address, excuse me, when she was first elected and she introduced herself as somebody who uh, was a working mom who worked at Hy-Vee. And um, so she can really introduce herself uh, having that working class uh, background, as well as um, you know having those common sense policies as as she characterizes it. Um, in Iowa during the pandemic. So um, this is definitely an opportunity for her to um, to continue that message that she's been talking about on national news um, and show how Iowa, in um, her opinion, has kept schools. She's talked a lot about how she's kept schools open during the pandemic and Kids being in schools and uh, playing into those um, those divisions on the pandemic. So um, and and also with uh, with Ukraine, I thought one thing that I found interesting was that Ukraine is a big producer of wheat. So when you talked about like her drawing parallels with the Ukrainian people, you know, I was a major agricultural state. So, you know, drawing those parallels between the Ukrainian people, but um, would be would be an easy way for her to tie that in, but not get too over her head with uh, foreign policy, especially as the Republicans don't really have that unified um, response to to the um, invasion of Ukraine. Like um, you all have stated eloquently.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And, Jared, uh, we'll come back to you with um, Do you think the Reynolds will do as Iowa Democrats have suggested that she will thank President Biden for the billions of dollars of federal assistance in response to COVID? Uh, or is she more likely to thank him for inflation, higher food prices, higher gasoline prices?
3: The, uh, the the thank you uh, card for the federal money is going to be coming uh, in the mail any day now. Uh, Biden, Biden just needs to keep going to the mailbox at the White House and, and checking, and it'll it'll come any day and uh, all will be well uh, on that front. Um, I, uh, I kind of had to chuckle when I covered an event that uh, Reynolds was at in uh, our area in uh, January. She went to Sioux Center to uh, tout the uh, Lewis and Clark regional water system, which is still kind of in progress. And um, part of that has been funded with money from the um, bipartisan infrastructure bill that uh, Biden signed last year. And only two of the six members of Iowa's congressional delegation, Grassley, and then uh, Axney, voted for that plan. But of course, in Reynolds' speech that got glossed over completely at the time and, you know, you would have just assumed everyone voted for this and we, you know, we all support this and isn't this great. Um, As far as what she'll talk about, I do kind of expect there will be plenty of talk about the kitchen table type stuff. People are really feeling right now. And then just attributing all of those like bad feelings to Biden because, you know, that's just the nature of uh, that part of the game. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other thing I'm going to kind of be curious to see is just uh, where uh, Reynolds goes from here. We were talking about aspirations earlier, um, but in the past, some of the people that have delivered the uh, rebuttal to the State of the Union haven't really achieved a lot afterward. Uh, Joe Kennedy third gave one of these, and he's not even in office anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, same goes for, for Mitch Daniels and Paul Ryan. They responded when Obama was in office. They're not around. Uh, Rubio oh. gave one and is obviously still around, but Kind of flamed out in 2016 in the presidential primaries. So the response to the State of the Union doesn't always guarantee your name, like in the Golden Book of uh, politics. So, and it might make it
1: worse. It sounds like, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, in Rubio's case, maybe enough time has passed that uh, you know he's overcome his uh, thirst.
1: Uh, (laughs) Yeah, for politics. Um,
0: And and, I mean, as we speculate on this, I guess one thing to keep in mind is maybe the the GOP has uh, chosen Reynolds to deliver its message rather than her message. Uh, So she may not really have that much control over what what she says in the speech. But uh, either way, uh, Lynn County Republicans already are planning a watch party for the State of the Union response um, with Governor Reynolds. So, you know, and and she'll be up against uh, um, who was that Congresswoman? Presley, who is delivering sort of the progressive caucus response to their own president, their own party's president. Oh. <laughs>
1: so.
3: you, can, uh, you can have a response to the response. And yeah. Just keep going from there. <laughs> just keep going. Just
1: make it a Twitter thread.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and next
0: week. <laughs> come back next week when we have a response from. Yeah. Maybe the Freedom Caucus will have a response. Um And and I'm sure we'll hear from former President Donald Trump, uh, his his, um, ringing endorsement of the State of the Union. But moving on, uh, it's not unusual that in the first election cycle following redistricting, we see a large turnover in the Iowa legislature. 2022 will be no exception. By my count, at least 35 incumbents have announced they are retiring or running for another office, House members running for... Senate seats, or vice versa, or running for county or federal office. Um, And that's just shy of 25% of the legislature. Um, Chaz Netticombe of C-Analysis, who bills himself as the nation's leading state legislative election prognosticator. Uh, I'm not sure how much uh, competition there is for that title
1: um <laughs> go but, ahead and take right, it. it
0: yeah <laughs> claim it that
1: sounds like a lot of work
0: <laughs> yeah anyway Chaz is suggesting that our republicans will come away from the 2022 election with a super majority in the house where they already have a 60 40 advantage over democrats his prediction is 65 gop seats which to me is short of a super majority uh i i I would think you need at least 67 seats for a supermajority. But anyway, he says 65 GOP seats, 33 Democratic seats, and a couple of toss-ups. One of those toss-up districts would be uh, the area that Representative Todd Pritchard represents in north-central Iowa, and the other is Representative Steve Hansen's Woodbury County District. Jared, um, you're probably more familiar with both of those districts from your work at, Mason, at the Mason City Globe-Gazette and now at the Sioux City Journal. Is Nuttycomb right to call those toss-ups?
3: Calling the one for uh, Pritchard's seat, uh, a a potential toss-up feels reasonable somewhat if you're just going off of uh, 2020. I think I hedged myself enough there. Um, That time around, he beat um, Craig Clark by about seven points, which is a number that you could build on if you got the right candidate. But in the years before that, Pritchard was well-liked enough that he didn't even have people running against him in the general that was the case in 26 or in uh 2018 and then in 2016 he was closer to winning by uh, double digits and then in 2014 he also didn't have a challenger so you know there uh, you can call it maybe a toss-up just because of all this uh, redistricting and everything like that but the past history is a little mixed on that one and then as far as um Hansen goes, I'm maybe even a little less convinced about how much that would be a toss-up. He's run and won plenty of races in the Iowa House and in the Iowa Senate um, before. And in uh, 2020, he won by 11% against um, Bob Henderson, who is a name around here and does have um, clout locally. So I would think that even with you know just radically different boundaries, 11% is a pretty strong firewall to have. So that one, I'm a little more dubious about being a toss up than I am the Pritchard's one. Although I don't know if either of them are, you know, 50, 50 type races.
0: I, I know in 2020 Republicans thought they were going to um, knock off Pritchard then. And I mean, they point to all the, you know, you look at rural Iowa and, and it's very Republican in, in terms of their legislators um, and, and Pritchard is pretty much the only rural Democrat in the House. Uh, there may be one other, um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's the outlier. Um, talking about Steve Hansen, he voted for the, the, this historic largest in history tax cut bill. What's the story there?
3: Yeah, that that was um, one thing I was kind of um, thinking about, and you know, some of the formulating with um, stuff with him is that he's cast some um, bipartisan votes on stuff, and they're ones that I don't think would lose him any votes with Democrats because they're not necessarily the most controversial of uh, like issues, um, even though people love to argue about them. And it's the kind of votes that you could maybe pick up, you know, an agnostic voter or two, who like likes to pride themselves on being independent or whatever it is voters say, um, as far as that goes. So like, I could see some of that sort of, you know, those bipartisan tendencies maybe helping too in uh, making the race a little easier for him.
0: Mm-hmm. Back in 2020 cycle, uh, Nuttycomb called the Iowa House uh, one of the most competitive chambers and said Democrats were slight favorites to flip the House. Uh, instead, they lost seats. Uh, he was right that um, Democrats flipped the last Republican seat in Lynn County, which was Ashley Hinson's Iowa House seat, and uh, flipped a few of the rural uh, and Republicans flipped a um, uh, seat held by Democrat Bruce Barringer. Um And he also predicted Democrats would almost certainly gain, have a net gain in the Senate, uh, Remain split 32-18. There was no change uh, with a buildup like that. I'm starting to ask myself why we're talking about his predictions at all. But um, <laughs> <laughs> never mind. <laughs> yes, <wrap up. laughs> when we look at the, the people who are leaving the House and Senate, um, it seems to me like most of these people or most of these districts are safe for the incumbent party. Um, you know, you know, Mary Masher in Iowa City, I don't think Republicans are going to flip that seat, uh, you know, those sorts of things. Um, Amy, when I when you look at the Cedar Valley area, are, are any of those seats likely to flip or are I'm
1: interested in Iowa House District 76, actually, because this one was Dave Williams seat um, and the district has shifted. So it used to be pretty much majority Cedar Falls and then just a little bit underneath it to the south. And now it's just kind of a sliver of Cedar Falls and then a whole lot of rural to the south. And those rural counties have a bigger Republican um, voter share. Now, do those specific precincts have a big Republican voter share or not? I don't know. But I think that's really one that you got to watch. Um, So you've got Kate White on the Democratic side. She's a Hudson City Council uh, person. And then you've got Tony Chavez on the Republican side, who have so far declared. Um, And he's a young Republican. He's 26 years old. So he's a young up-and-comer. So that'll be an interesting one to watch. Um, But I would say the rest of them around here are are pretty safe.
0: Jared, uh, the same question to you as far as any openings in the western Iowa area, uh, Sioux City, and around there.
3: Um... Yeah, I I think um, I'll be interested just to see what happens with the the race for um, Chris Hall's seat since he's obviously um, retiring. And then another one I actually will be interested to see. I don't necessarily know how close it will be. I'll also be interested to see what happens with the race for um, Amanda Reagan's Mm -hmm. uh, seat. Uh, It's not quite the same boundaries as the the house area for around Mason City, but I remember um, in, in 2020 for the House race for uh, the Mason City area, which uh, Sharon Steckman won, um, the guy that ran against her got 35% of the vote, which obviously doesn't sound like much and is, is a pretty big blowout. But he had like no name recognition and nobody really knew who he was. And he still was able to get at least 35% of the vote. So that's another one for in that area if the Republicans find the right person to run, that that could be something that's more competitive than it has been in the past, too. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh Tom and Sarah in the Quad Cities area, are there seats in play?
2: Yeah, so I think uh um state senator um Jim Lycam, Democrat from Davenport, um I think his seat is probably in play. So um Likeham announced that um he is, uh, is retiring and won't, um, seek reelection, um, after redistricting, um, caused his district to shift quite a bit. Um, it's become, um, more rural, you know, like him, um, for years, you know, um, represented, uh, a large part of Davenport now with that newly drawn district, um, there, there's only a part of kind of Northern uh, Davenport um, that's included in that. And the rest of it becomes um, largely rural. Um, it includes, um, I'm trying to remember now. So, so the, the district uh, now includes um, Cedar, North Muscatine and um, West Scott County. And again, just including kind of a portion of Davenport. Um, and so like him announcing his retirement mentions that, um, you know, it's going to, it's going to become more difficult for a Democrat running for that seat. Um, and, um, and, and, um, you know, it's likely uh, to be a competitive race. Um, we've got three candidates, I believe running right now for that, um, two Democrats and, uh, and, and one Republican, but the kind of conventional thinking there is that, um, is that this will be a, a district or a seat that would, um, kind of favor Republicans.
0: Ross Poshton's seat is
2: that in play? I I don't think Poshton's seat is in play um because um Bobby Kaufman uh got drawn into That's that. Right. Into that district. So um so yeah, um so Bobby Kaufman Republican from Walcott, um he announced he's running for that newly drawn House District 82. Um, again, he was drawn into new district with with, with Postian, and then when that happened, Paustian announced that uh, he decided to retire and won't won't run for reelection. So I don't I don't necessarily see that in play. I see that as a as a safe seat for Kaufman. Any
0: sense? Um, I don't know how much attention you guys paid to Clinton uh, Mary Wolf seat over there. I mean, yeah, she's held that for a while.
2: Yeah. Um, to be honest, uh, haven't paid much attention to, to Clinton in that seat. So, um, I, I don't really know about that one. Okay.
0: Hey, and Jared, while I'm thinking about, uh, any news on Chris Hall, what his his plans are, um, other than he's not running for reelection.
3: Uh, TBD still, uh, from uh, last week into this week. So. Okay.
0: All right. Yeah. A lot of curiosity about what, what he's going to do. Um, He was a bricklayer or something, wasn't he, before running for the legislature? A mason? I don't know. Whatever. Um, (laughs) Anyway, we'll get a final accounting of how many vacancies there will be when the filing period for the legislature closes, March 18th. And we'll talk about that on a future edition of On Iowa Politics. But that's it for today. If you enjoy the podcast, tell your friends and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Stay up to date on the Iowa Legislature by subscribing to the Capital Digest newsletter under the Iowa Legislature tab at thegazette.com. Any fan mail may be sent to podcast at thegazette.com. And don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily non and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Dead Larry will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Amy, Tom, Sarah, Jared, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Be well.
5: Today is gonna be the greatest. It's gonna be the bestest. Damn day I ever had day, I climbed the top of a mountain, laid in a hot spring fountain, and laid my fears to rest, but if you want to go, go! till the end.